Oh, that, uh, without a doubt, prioritise your health. Because I is the one, I mean, I, I am only now kind of doing daily walks and daily stress and daily prioritising and what I don't, I never start a meeting before 9.30 because I have to do my walk. I have to. And it's an hour kind of absolute, don't even bother calling Sia because she's on a walk first thing in the morning. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Burnt Chef Journal, hosted by myself, Chris Hall, the founder of the Burnt Chef Project. This week's guest is Celia Gaze, who joins us from Lancashire to talk about her business, The Wellbeing Farm, and also how she left the NHS after experiencing high levels of burnout, worked at setting up her own business within hospitality, which has become a successful wedding venue. But she talks about her journey through that process and also what led her to write the book, Why Put a Bowtie on a Llama? Sounds like a crazy title, but honestly, this is an episode that's very current, topical, up to date. Celia's a great person as well with a wealth of experience. So I think there's something for everyone in this episode. As always, please enjoy it. Give us some feedback when you get an opportunity and uh, we'll crack on. On the surface, we at Lamb Weston are a leading global frozen potato product provider. But hospitality is in our roots. We are helping to chip away the stigma of mental health in the industry and truly believe in well-being through potatoes, which is why we are in full support of the Burnt Chef project. If you want to find out more about how we provide well-being through the humble potato or try a free sample of our award-winning products, such as our proper British chips, The Dukes, follow us on Instagram at UK. So this week's guest is Celia Gaze. We're joined by Celia, who has uh, not only written a uh, a best-selling book, Why Put a Bowtie on a Llama, but she's also the founder or chief amazement officer and head stable maid uh, for the Wellbeing Farm, which is a wedding and events venue uh, up in Lancashire. So Celia, hi, how are you doing? Hi, Chris. Yeah, great. Thanks. And thank you for having me on the show. Brilliant. No, no, no problem at all. It's a pleasure to have you here. Um, Celia, if, I mean, there's so much that I could say to explain you having read a bit of your book currently, but, uh, you know, this podcast isn't about me talking at you. Uh, if you could give people just, uh, just an overview, Celia, like, who are you? Like, why put a bow tie on a llama? <laughs> yeah. Well, everybody thinks what on earth are we now here to listen to? I want to talk about llamas. Um, in a nutshell, I, um, I originally started off in hospitality I'd, I'd trained and worked in various kitchens and everything right from the outset I went to college and did a, a chefing qualifications and all the rest w- worked in the industry and then decided I was actually going to leave the industry and I actually worked for the NHS I, I jumped from hospitality into the NHS for and I was in the NHS for about 14 years and had massive massive big projects to lead to lead on and the big project that I um, kind of led on was the re- configuration it sounds very complicated of healthcare services in in greater manchester so i had to lead a big project to which actually did involve sadly changing a and e's changing you know kind of um hospital services and all the rest of it and um and then i i had some big projects and then it was during the time of the nhs that i um experienced 
work-related stress and burnout. Now, I know this is about hospitality, but I am getting there to where the hospitality <laughs> connection comes in. And um, I, um, I had no idea about kind of what stress was until it almost smacked me in the face. And I and although I was working in the NHS, which is a supposedly biz, you know organization that kind of inherently looks after you know you, it was you know for me I failed to recognise any of the signs that I was going through this this burnout and 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 what I was experiencing, and we'll get I'll probably get onto all of that later. So in a nutshell, I experienced the burnout and the stress. And I thought, what am I going to do with my life? Because is this it? You know, I was sort of, um, I thought, gosh, surely my life cannot be a job where I'm just constantly working for somebody else and experiencing these conditions and I'm going to change my life. So my partner had a rundown farm, which I decided to do something with on a bit of a whim, I'll be honest with you. And I set about researching all of the elements that had, what I could turn this farm into. I had absolutely no idea really what I was going to do. I just thought I need to do something about well-being. I want to do something that if people are so burnt out and stressed that they could go to somewhere special and that somewhere special would be somewhere that was um, designed specifically to minimise stress. It would have lovely food. It would have a great environment. It would be fun. It would be on a farm. It would have the views, all the elements of kind of, they call it the five ways to wellbeing and, and, and sort of almost incorporating all of those elements. I set about the farm. Absolute nightmare. I'd never you know, managed a building project. I had been in the NHS. I had no idea about liaising with architects, builders, electricians, installing a wind turbine, installing a water treatment plant, the whole thing. This farm was a complete wreck and I had to transform it into a business and then set about doing that. I then got in a real financial mess, complete mess, you know, near bankruptcy, horrendous experience. The stress was so much more than in the NHS. I thought, what have I done? And then, um, and uh, and and then it was only until the story of where the llamas come in. Um, I don't llamas had been an animal where if you walk a llama, it's supposed to de-stress you. I may you might be thinking, what on earth? But but when you walk a llama, the llama is the same height as you usually, and um, you completely concentrate on the llama and yourself. And it's almost that sort of it being in the present, switching off from everything else. And the llama makes you relax. You work walking in the countryside usually with your llama, and it is a way of relaxing. So that's that's where the llamas come in. And they and I had all these stables, and I was like, what am I going to put in the stables? And I didn't want horses, and I didn't. And I researched all the animals that were easy to look after, helped with stress and um, basically didn't take a lot, you know, didn't take a lot of work, could survive the winters. We are kind of quite high up in Lancashire. So, um, yeah, the llama ticks all the boxes. So I ended up with llamas. But the, st- but the story goes that I'd done the building. I finally opened and I got so excited, but also losing, leave, you know, leaving, losing money, massively losing money. But ev- and everybody kept saying, I kept saying, why don't we just do this? Why don't we just do this? Why don't we just do this? And it was, and people kept giving me ideas. I was like, oh yeah, okay, I'll just do that. Yeah, okay. I'll open a cafe. I'll, I'll do weddings. I'll do events. I'll do parties. I'll be a petting farm. I'll do butchery courses. I'll have a cookery school. I'll do, you know, you name it. I'll do it from this one premises. And it ended up in a complete mess with 14 different things going from this farm. Nobody knew what it was, you know, kind of what, 
on earth was this business model? And I am December 15, when traditionally in hospitality, as you know, you should be packed out. It's your busiest time. I had zero customers. And I was like, what is going on? This is just not working. And I decided I was so desperate. Um, I remember that I had to phone the VAT office. And this is the only time that the VAT office have ever done me a favour. Because in the NHS, you don't understand what VAT is. It's You don't the NHS is like an unreal world you're dealing with millions of pounds of funding and you are so out of kind of the 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 reality of day-to-day work life that you kind of think you're dealing with so many big figures that thousands on this and thousands of that you think oh yeah that's that's okay and (laughs) it's ridiculous and um so they rang up and I was like, what is that? I just could not get my head about that. I mean, what, you know, why Why do they want it? What's it going to do with it? Why do I have to pay it? And I rang up the back office and um, and, she, and, and I had got my credit card in my hand uh, to pay this VAT bill. And she goes, um, basically, um, you know, you owe this VAT amount. this." Pound. And I said, oh, yeah, it's okay. I'll pay it on the credit card. And she went, no, you won't. And I said, well, what do you mean? And she goes, you can't pay this on your credit card and I was sort of going well I've paid it on the credit card before and I had all this debt mounting up on credit cards and um, she said well we won't allow you and I said well why, why can't I pay on the credit card she said no we stopped that policy you're not allowed to pay on a credit card and quite frankly if you can't pay your VAT bill you're not properly running your business and it was a real smack in the face of my goodness what am I doing and I had to go it was horrendous and I had to go and I I was so stressed at this point so that I had to write a letter to my mum and and it sounds awful my mum was 70 odd and I had to write a letter to my mum and to my partner because I could not talk about the mess I was in without crying and the words couldn't come out so I wrote a complete letter which was about four pages long all about the mess I was in and saying that I needed some money to bail me out otherwise I didn't know what I was going to do and thank God my mum and I feel awful for this because she lent me the money at that age I paid the VAT bill but I vowed to change and from that moment I cut everything back and at that point in December, I went home, I was with my mum and my dad gave me a bow tie. Uh, my, she was clearing out my dad's wardrobes and wardrobe because he had left the family home. And um, she found a bag of bow ties because he used to be a concert pianist and did all these concerts wearing bow ties. And it was like, and she goes, of all the things to leave me, what am I going to do with these? And I went, oh, just give me the bag of bow ties and I'm just going to stick it on a llama. And that was just a complete um, fly by the comment. So I got back after Christmas and, you know, kind of had spent some time with mum to thank her for giving me the money and all the rest of it. And, um, and I said to my kind of guy who looked after llamas, look, can you just go and take this bow tie and see if you can get it on a llama? And when you've got it on a llama, just, just let me know and I'll come in and I'll take a photo. And <laughs> it was just as simple as that. So he comes back about half an hour and goes, well, it was a bit of a struggle, but I've actually got the bow tie on the llama and it actually looks quite good. So I go in, it was that, you know, the llama's got long necks, this bow tie with the middle. I thought, fab, let's just take a photo. Took a photo, I loaded it to social media and the world went mad. Everybody wants to know about the, the bow tie wearing the llamas. It went crazy. Inquiries started to flood it in. And we went literally that year from, we just started thinking about weddings um, and we went from two weddings to 15, to 30, to 45, to 70. And now we're on over a hundred and something weddings a year. And all because 
I put the bow tie on the It wasn't obviously only that, but the point is, I put the bow tie on the llama. It made the business stand out. We became the bow tie, the place with the bow tie wearing llamas. And then since then, I have operated a very successful wedding and events venue. We've won a lot of awards. We won the UK Wedding Team of the Year in last um, last year, you know, twenty twenty. Um, for the work in 2019, I will add, not to obviously 2020. <laughs> yeah. And um, and we uh, are now on track to, we've, we're, we're very sustainable, we're very ethical, and we are now on track to be one of the first B Corp businesses in hospitality in the country, which is what I'm obviously we'll talk about later on. And so, yeah, so it's been a story. And, and I just felt that um, I'd gone through so much. I literally had made so many mistakes. I'd done everything wrong basically. I did everything the hard way because I had nobody to show me how to do this, especially how to take a neglected farm to transform it into into something. And so I thought if I don't write up my learnings to help other people, I feel it's just going to be a waste. And so, yeah, so I wrote everything up. I, I my book got accepted into a, into with a publisher, and um, and it ended up in the um, the business book of the year awards um, for the business story. And I was so proud to be listed amongst the. Um, I was listed amongst Pictionary. The, the guy who founded Pictionary, the guy who founded Just Eat, the guy, the person who founded um, um, the Trunky. You know that little, if you've got kids, that little suitcase on wheels, and yeah. the person who invented the scrunchie, which for women is that sort of elastic band covered material that you put in your hair. So there you go. So that was it. That's the story in a in a long nutshell <laughs> to give you an overview. So just, uh, just you know, if anyone at a particular point missed any of that story, if you want a successful business, just chuck a bow tie on a llama and work your ass <laughs> off. <laughs> totally. so, and I would keep failing because I, and my middle name is failure. I, I have failed at absolutely everything. And, and I think that is actually it's the key is bouncing back off it and getting better every time you do fail. Yeah, a hundred percent. I completely resonate with that. I think that, you know, we're taught that failure is a bad thing. You know, if you fail, yeah. you're not good enough. Whereas in fact, actually, if you fail, pick yourself back up, look at it objectively, look where you can do it again. And if you fail again, tweak it, tweak it, tweak it. 100%. Because I think both you and I, res- like we, you know, we, we've spoken obviously off air and I've read part of your book and I, I get the sense that both of us are quite similar in respect that, we as human beings realize actually your capabilities are limitless. Like you, you as an individual listening to this now are capable of anything you want to do. And if you sat there going, what a load of bollocks. I, you know, I'm not very good at maths or I, you know, I can't run 5k. You can, you just haven't done it yet. And sometimes it's just baby steps. Um, But would it be fair to say from your journey, Celia, uh, very similarly to me that uh, you know, at certain stages of your career that you thrive on stress, like you, 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 it's your fuel, it's your energy. Yeah. Do you know what? I know. uh, I think when I'm quiet, I'm a bit of a nightmare. (laughs) When when I've slowed down, I'm a bit, I am, I'm I'm that kind of A-driven or whatever the, I don't know the phrase, constant on the go personality. My team, I think, 
they you know they you have to embrace change i i am forever coming out with new ideas we're a very dynamic business and some people absolutely love that and think this is great this is really dynamic i'm working somewhere it's going places and other people are like oh my goodness i just can't cope with it this is just too much you know um but i i feel that you know it is that sometimes stress can be a good thing i mean if I hadn't had stress in every area of my kind of working career, I mean, if I hadn't been through that stress in the NHS, there's no way I would have left it because I loved the NHS. And I do, and I would have been there, you know, they have a very good pension scheme, the whole thing, you know, I wouldn't, uh, I would not have left the NHS. If I hadn't been through all of that stress with nearly failing at the business and all of that kind of near bankruptcy again I wouldn't have changed I, I I would have just carried on with the things that I was doing so sometimes although in the time going through stress is one of the worst experiences that you can ever go through if you if you kind of use it as a catalyst to change your situation to change the circumstances that you're in it can be one of the most positive things that you can go through so should we should we then at this point moving forward should we relabel certain stress as stretch like yeah. a period a period of our life where we're not talking about habitual stress and we'll come on to what that looked like mm, for you in terms yeah. of burnout in a second. But shall we just say that, you know, daily life events and failing and being put up against the cost from time to time in moderation is a stretch phase where it allows us to push our boundaries and to to develop and grow. 100%. And, and I think it's always perceived as so negative stress and 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 things, but actually if you view it as a, I mean, it's, I mean, for me, when I had this stress, um, you know, I, I was, I mean, when I look back, I'm like, why did I not know about stress? I, I feel like I felt really stupid at the time to have gone through what I did without knowing these symptoms, because I was kind of driving to work and feeling sort of almost physically sick. And I'm, I'm sort of driving on the, uh, you know, holding the steering wheel and, and like a chest pain, you know, a pain going up my arm. I'm like, my God, I'm, a, I'm not even 40 and I'm going to have a heart attack already, you know, I, I, seriously. And then I was so kind of, um, it was, it, the catalyst for me was when I was in a meeting. Now you're in the directors, you know, this, I was a director in the health service. This is not the place where you burst into tears. You know, this is really bad. And, um, yeah, I'm on the board of directors and there's doctors around me and there's the chief executives and there's non-executive directors, all people of industry and medical. And and um, I was heading up this project to save 42 million from the NHS. <laughs> when I look back, I'm like, why did I take that off? And, um, and, um, and somebody had asked me these performance figures and, and it wasn't turning around and it needed a massive Titanic. It just, you couldn't turn it around. It's just too big, too bureaucratic, too difficult. And I really thought I would be the knight in charming, uh, shining armour to go in and save it and to do all of this. And it just was so hard. And I, every day I was getting more and more and more worked up as well as to why. And I thought it was me and I thought I was failing and it wasn't working. And I couldn't see the symptoms and I was coming home at night and I wasn't sleeping. I was crying all the time, you know, anything, the slight criticism would set me off. And I wasn't a person who'd cry. I was, I led bigger projects than this. And, and why was it that this thing just set me off? And, um, 
And I and I remember I was somebody mentioned something. Well, it's clearly not working, is it? And I just burst into tears and kind of left the building. And I'm like, what is going on? And um, and I went to the doctor and I said, I, I really feel that something's not right. And he said, well, you're experiencing work-related stress and burnout. And I said, oh, well, what does this mean? Is it going to be like a couple of days off work? And he goes, no, you're going to have to take at least a week, at least actually two weeks. And I said to him, I can't take two weeks. Are you mad? I said, you know, just give us a couple of days. I'll be all right. And, um, and he said, no, if you don't take this time, Celia, you're actually going to be very ill. And I was going, what, is it that bad? And he said, Celia, you're ending up on a burnout situation with what you are describing. And now at that point, he said, I'm going to, I want to prescribe you some tablets. And I said, oh, no, I don't, I don't want to go onto tablets. I said, there must be a way of getting out of this. And, um, and he said, well, you, you're just going to have to take time off if you won't go on medication. And that was quite a strong point of me because... I kind of read books like Prozac Nation and all this kind of thing and didn't want to associate on, on getting on to all of that. So I decided to go off and I didn't just go off. I became absolutely obsessed with stress. What was this condition that went from high flyer, energetic, kind of enthusiastic person to a complete crumbling wreck who cried all the time? What what on earth goes on from that, that point to that point? And how could I have prevented all of this? And I became so obsessed with stress that I couldn't just have stress. I had to do a qualification in stress. And then I had to do a qualification in stress management. And I had to do another qualification in organisational stress. I mean, this is ridiculous. This is kind of what I'm like. And um, and I ended up being so kind of... I, uh, and this is the turning point when part of this qualification, uh, you had to do um, a module. You know, it was a written... It was qualification in... You know, it was an online, but it was also... You had to do written piece of work. It was with a quali- um, accredited body. It wasn't just kind of an online... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three day thing. And I had to do a module on design an environment specifically to minimize stress. And that was when I went into full on the designing this this environment and everything you'd put in this to minimize stress and how you would do it and everything. And when I finished, it was like she said, I only asked you to do uh like a, a three thousand word piece of coursework and she said we have just got a mammoth <laughs> you know kind of piece of researched coursework with the building design and she said uh, and she said I can't give you more than a, like an A star or whatever she said there's nothing I could do and, and I said well I don't I actually am so into this now I don't want it to stop and that's why I said you know and, and my part Stephen he had a like a, a rundown neglected farm he wasn't doing anything with it and I said can I not take my project that I've designed on paper as just a piece of coursework and turn it into a business? That's that's how crazy my my thing was. That was the extent of kind of the work I'd done. In it was not it was not a business plan. It was not a kind of kind of make a proper business. It was like how can I transform this farm into something to help with stress? And that's how crazy and stupid really when I look back. And not it's not a way to start a business. But it, I eventually got there in the end. But it's like, again, going back to, to the, the the thing, I I would never have ha- I would never have done what I've done if I hadn't had that period of my life and the whole thing about stress and and all of that side of things. 
That's amazing hearing that story. The the thing, <laughs> the thing that <laughs> totally re- mad. Yeah. <laughs> well, do you know what? I share your madness because similarly to yourself, two years ago, before um, well, as the Burnt Chef project was starting off, I took a diploma in uh, workplace stress reduction trainer, as in like a trainer, 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 and it was um, exactly the same thing. So you're studying the HSE management standards. You're going back over all the years, looking at the yeah. stress statistics as well from the ONS. Um, so I've done I've done the same course, um, or I've yeah. got one module finished because I well the Burnt Chef project ends up taking off. But the thing yeah. for me is I was just like I was like boom because like mental yeah. health issues and mental illness was all this thing, but no one explains yeah. that there's a step in between being well and not being well, and that's that's 100%. you sometimes not you not in all cases, but sometimes especially within our industry, it's habitual long term stress, and if it's not being dealt with. And and so, like, when we're talking about what your your example was with the NHS and you looked back to the HSE management standards, which is yeah. demands and control yeah. and all these things, those six six steps that yeah. actually impact well-being, no wonder. Like, no, no wonder, know. you know. And That's it was not... also, like, I mean, I had this stress um, episode and we're looking almost like 10 years ago that I had this. And well-being was not even being talked about. It was just starting to be talked about in in the NHS circles. This is kind of how, you know. And the reason I called it the well-being farm is because, you know, obviously we were in the NHS and you're you're privy to to information that isn't necessarily in the massive public domain at that point. And they were talking about well-being. And so when I came to a farm name, I was like, what am I going to call it? Well-being, well-being, the well-being farm. Why would I just call it well-being farm? And then it was like, I I called it the well-being farm in case anybody copied my ideas. But I don't always have the original kind of idea. But the point was, when I was talking, when I originally had stress, this is like 10 years ago, when nobody wanted to it's almost like I had some sort of contagious disease Mm. because colleagues did not want to be with somebody who was stressed people saw me as a failure because she can't she's no longer she's lost a touch you know I will say that I had this stress on the back of having a baby so I just had a baby I was on maternity leave they called me on maternity leave to come and do this project well and and really that was I shouldn't have it they should one they shouldn't have called me and two I shouldn't have accepted but that's another thing but the point is I got this feedback going she's lost a touch since she's had the baby she she's not 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 the Celia that was there before she had the baby you know and and I started thinking, my goodness, I've lost my touch. You know, what's going on? You know, why can't I do stuff that I could do before the baby? And now I can't do do that now, um, including hours of working and et cetera, et cetera. But it's also, it was how it was perceived. It was really perceived as something that, it was almost like, you know, like a, <laughs> you, know, you watch too many horror films, you have to get a crucifix out. You know, you're like, don't go near that person because she's stressed. And um. And I rem- and and it, and um, I remember when I wrote the book, and my publisher said, "Do you want to be so honest about your experiences?" And I said, "Yeah," because I I feel that that people need to know what I went through. People need to know exactly what happened, so you can learn from that and and learn from the outcome of it. Because you know, it did have lots of side effects. It does affect your whole life. You know your relation i mean it luckily it didn't affect my relationship but it can you can quite easily see because you bring it all home with you 
you can't sleep about it. You're constantly on your mind. It just doesn't disappear. It's like a constant fog. You know, you you, you can't think clearly. It's so you, you you I mean, with my case, some people are lucky because they lose weight. I put on weight. You know, the mm. whole different. You know, the it's not just the mental effects; it's the whole physical side of it. It's the knock-on effects to relationships, to friendships. You becoming very insular. You don't want to go out and socialize. Um, the the knock-on effects are massive, and well, that's it's thing. such an important thing to be open about and to to talk about. And that's why I'm so feel so strongly about kind of the work you're doing and what you're trying to raise especially when you see it in hospitality all over the place i mean you know it's you know yeah yeah which leads me to an interesting question i mean originally your your project that you did for your diploma was um was based on it was based on the well-being farm right but Mm. if you take a look at take a look at hospitality take a look at We'll, we'll split it into two if we, you know, if we've got time. But we've got the front of house and we've got back of house. What are you? What yeah. would you say are the main sort of? Because you've got a lot of different stresses. You've got your physical. You've got your emotional. Yeah. Like what? What are the? What are the mm. top three stresses in each area that, from your experience of owning a, you know, owning your own hospitality business and working in hospitality yourself? Well, I mean, you know, I, I, um, I recently, um, obviously, we we faced like everybody else. We were closed. We've had to reopen and. And um, we've faced um, chef uh, recruitment crises like everybody else. I mean, it's just been absolutely horrendous. And um, going back, that as I decide, I was facing such problems in the kitchen. I mean, such problems. I was like, I've got to go and find out what's going on. Absolutely, this can't continue. So we got to the point where I was, you know, the reopening for us was like started a brand new business with a load of staff who hadn't been near the business for months. And we had a full order book of like, we were reopened and we've done since the 19th of July, like 24 weddings with a brand new team and a brand new staff. And it has been absolutely horrendous is all I can describe it as. And the first few weddings, I will admit, sadly, that they did go wrong. Um, well, I'll go wrong. The, 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 the customers didn't know, but I was not happy with what we delivered. The, the, the bride and groom had no idea, but I, I didn't. And I said, this is not what we're about. We won the UK team of the year. I'm not going to go on that. But we were doing a flipping pre-COVID and post-COVID. Something's gone wrong. And I intend to flipping find out what it is. So I literally ended up donning a kind of chef jacket and <laughs> becoming for a while the head chef to find out what on earth has been going wrong and I literally started in sort of um July or the beginning end of July about the 20th of you know about about the 25th of July and um and I've literally non-stop I'm still kind of in this back to I'm called it my back to the floor experience (laughs) and I literally went to see what was going on and I have my eyes opened to the stresses that you go through in the kitchen and the stresses that you go through front of house on being kind of the first hand delivery. And I mean, I admit, yes, I set the fall farm up and I set the business up and I set it all up. And I had, I had removed myself a little bit into what it feels like to be on the front line of delivering these services. 
and the stress from when you are in and the stress on the kitchen from the supplier side to you put an order in thinking all the food's going to arrive and then you get there in the morning and half of it isn't there and you're like how the hell I mean if it wasn't for Amazon I don't think I could run my business I mean god this Amazon deliver your food in two hours I'm having to do all that and then it's like the allergies thing has gone through the roof we're having these these people where uh, I'm vegan with you know with or um, gluten-free with no dairy and lactose and no sugar and I mean it's like gone ridiculous it's kind of and the pressures that that's put on the kitchen this I mean our kitchen does have access to outdoor space you know it does have a door that leads to an outside of a farm but I've worked in kitchens that have been in basements that have been massively hot and hours and the stress and the working conditions and the relentless non-stop and the people who say you're on a 36 30 you know, 40 hour contract and actually it's 80 hours and you're not paid any extra for those 80 hours do you know the extra 40 hours and they go oh you can make it up in lieu and that make it up in lieu thing never ever comes back to you and it's that yeah. constant non-stop oh and by the way i've just done the order and the person's now gluten-free and you've got and it's like um and unless you're in it and that gluten-free or those vegan can not have nothing against vegans and gluten-free but you kind of need to know about them in advance you can't just magically produce something of you know and so from that side and the kitchen side through to the front of house and how rude some customers can be and how so kind of how we've had brides it's like, oh, could you just bring me a tissue i need to wipe my face well go and get your own flipping tissue <laughs> and you know and you've got to constantly do all this with a smile on your face uh, that whole hospitality and i'm in awe of how my team and others just cope with irate often arrogant customers who I, if it was me, I'd just be telling them to, <laughs> I don't think I could do this all the time. I mean, you know, it's so hard. And, you know, the, the pressures that people are under, the relentless hours, the steps. I mean, on an average wedding that we do, you know, if you don't do like 20 odd thousand steps, you know, a, a shift, you know, and the, the long hours and I mean I've I, I mean since since being in the kitchen I've put a lot of processes in place I've now have a a system where you know the chefs will come in say 9 30 and then at five o'clock an evening chef will come in meaning the other chefs can go home and see the families and we try and at least give them at least two days you know the, the days off a week so they are doing more of a nine to six job uh, you know, as, as instead of a kind of you know nine thirty till eleven thirty at night job, you know, yeah. and things like this, we make sure we give um, you know drinks to the team. We're not you know kind of just help yourself. We always have a beer at the end of a shift, you know, with the, with the kitchen team, um, treating the pot washers as though they are part of a team as well is really important. Um, you know, and we obviously do a lot of work with food waste and, and all of this kind of thing, sustainability, using kind of, you know, the local suppliers, which a lot of chefs, you know, do like to do and try and use quality ingredients. But I mean, it is very hard. And and I, I feel that by doing my kind of back to the floor experience, it's made me such a better business person. I really think that every business owner needs to do that at least at least twice a year if not more 
you know, mm. and, you know, go and wash it. I mean, I, you know, I, I mean, I've, I've never been somebody, if I see something needs washing up, I'll wash it up. You know, it's not, I'm not one of these never, nothing is ever above me, you know, below me or whatever. I'll do everything. But just going back and actually doing that job day in, day out and realising that even in the chefing circles, it's not so much the cooking of the food, it's actually the orders it's doing all of that side of thing. It's coping with the planning side. It's the demands on when food doesn't turn up. It's demands on when you're short in the kitchen. And I, you just I, and the reason I stepped back into that role is because I could not get any chefs. I could mm. not get um, any temp chefs. And before COVID, you'd, you'd have loads to choose from. And now you there isn't. There just isn't the chefs. And I'm paying good salaries on a farm with llamas where well-being is kind of there and if i can't recruit what chance to to kind of other people have yeah and it's just been a massive eye-opener and but one of the best things that i've ever done and i'm now i'm not leaving that role until everything that i found out was wrong has been implemented and you know there are pages but I was, I, you know, I consider my business to be very well run and I've still found lots of frustrations and problems, which I have personally said I, I will sort out. And I've had other chefs who've joined me and said, we've never, ever worked like this. We've never had somebody who kind of has taken the issues on board. We'll open this. I mean, all my staff meet and they set the budgets. All my staff share every bit of financial information that I have. They tell me they set the budgets for the year. They set their own kind of food targets. They and bar targets. They they are fully involved as a business. And so many people, it's all secrecy. It's all you can't share that with the staff. What if they all ask for pay rises? What if they all want this? What they don't. But actually, what I do really love is the fact that my start, my team care so much about the business. And it's yeah. fantastic for me to have staff. And I mean, you've got to get those cultures in place. Our culture is do great work, give a shit, and don't be an asshole. As simple as that. <laughs> and I know it might be too blunt for others. And, pe- and I, I mean, I had somebody who came in, and I have all these posters like saying that. And one come and put, she goes, "You can't say that." She goes, she changed it to do great work. Um, be part of a team and let's all work together or something and i said no that just does not get the message across too fluffy absolutely just say it is as it is on the tin you know and and that's what you see is what you know what you see is what you get yeah a hundred percent i love that i was just thinking to myself i'm literally i'm sat here surrounded by posters the posters all that's just come in i'm like hmm, that could be quite a nice poster <laughs> not exactly pc for the is large it, corporates you know <laughs> no, no it is in my book i did put the poster in the book <laughs> gonna adapt that's, it for that that's but no, great. but um yeah so, it's been so you've um, done... amazing you've done a stress audit then basically but from being in that role you you've stre- like literally yeah, and for anyone out there who's wondering what the hell a stress order is, if you listen to what Celia was saying about being in the role and, you know, almost on a scale of one to five, one to ten, rating, you know, the supply is late with ingredients, they haven't turned up on time. How does that make you feel on, on a scale of one to ten in terms of stress levels? And then rather than just going, that's the procedure, you know, that's what's happened and this is the way it is, look at it from an objective point of view and go, okay, what can we do to mitigate mm. this? 
can we set up a standing order? Can we order three or four days in advance if we know we've got a wedding? Because to be honest with you, other than the changes which you've discussed in terms of like tolerances and stuff like that, you know what numbers you're dealing yeah. with. So place the order in advance. It gives these smaller producers time to be able to fulfill the order, or at least give you information prior to it. And it's about like going, okay, so now if that event happens, by putting these in place, how am I going to feel on a scale of one to 10? If it was eight, when it went wrong and it put me up against the cosh, now is it going to be a three because I'm ahead of myself or, yeah. you know, because I've, and it's such a simple process, but business owners, managers, GMs, whatever you are, you need to get your ass onto the floor, get your ass yeah. into the kitchen and not just sit there and observe, just do it. Do it. Like, yeah, do you it. know, get on the pass, understand what it's like to have 16 tables all sat at the same time, all orders coming through, and then all of those orders suddenly getting hit in the kitchen. And then vice versa, you know, for, for kitchen teams, be on the floor, understand what it's like to all of a sudden have 16 tables ready, all to go at the same time. And then all of a sudden, there's this, this, this cross pollination of, you know, actually, let you know, let's see what we can do to stagger those tables. Like how can we slow service down back a house? And it all seems, you know, yeah. very simple to do, but it is a lot of work to get these in place. But you have to do an audit, otherwise you're just gonna always accept that's the way it is and yeah. just go forward. Yeah, and I suppose it's that it's kind of like, you know, if I hadn't done that, like especially in the kitchen, it would have been, oh, let's just recruit another chef. And it wasn't the recruit the other chef. It was let's recruit a night chef so we can go home and see our families and put my kids to bed and let and do you know what I mean? And and have somebody else who will just because the night shift, having been there all day, the night food is not like in a wedding, it's not like um the day food of a wedding you know it's usually just like bacon rolls or pizzas or whatever it's not like a big so you just need one chef who's dedicated to the evening who can just finish that and let the whole of the other team kind of go home now if I hadn't done that I wouldn't have realized that that was needed and nobody would have told me that that was needed because they just presume that they just as chefs do not I mean I've had people come and they've said gosh you know the, the you know we were almost expected to do 12 hours 14 hours you know it's unheard of that you're letting us go at six o'clock he said my wife is can't get over it he said I've, I've seen her every night I've been able to put my, my child to bed I just it's just this is unheard of and I'm like well that for me gives me fantastic pleasure to hear that because it's so critical to have that work-life balance and it's so often missing in hospitality. Mm. Yeah. And it's what, you know, from the studies that we've done, the surveys we've done, it's one of the biggest pressures, you know, work-life balance. Everyone thinks it's about money and you know, there's been a 10% 10, 10 pay rise across the whole hospitality yeah. sector over the last few yeah. months. Very interesting that because people have suddenly realized that actually they do need to pay for the profession, but it's not money. You know, like I was, yeah. I, both of us, you know, have had jobs in the past where our salaries are bloody awesome, like a damn sight yeah. more than, you know, perhaps yeah. we're on 100%. now. Yeah. But it's not about, it's not always about the money. You know, money, yeah. there's that old saying, money doesn't buy you happiness. Sometimes it's actually like, it is a work life balance. It is what you're getting out, like how involved you are with the processes and understanding the business, how, how much, you know, we use the term hospitality family, but how much you feel like you're part of the team, like you you have an influence in the menu, the, you know, the wines that you put on, the, or even just, you know, what your opening hours are. Like, 
these things mm -hmm. are more important and more intrinsically valued than you know yeah. the more 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 and more, more money all the time yeah i mean we we talked about this just before we came on air about almost covid being although covid has been you know decimating to hospitality and, and many businesses haven't survived i mean i know about 95 wedding venues haven't survived and that for for everybody is horrendous but it has been in some respects you could call it a wake up call because very you know the way we did things pre-covid and the way post-covid are to totally different i mean when i was having this kind of chef crisis i kind of opened the black book of all the chefs who kind of done temping for me or whatever because they'd always give me the numbers because they said oh don't bother going for the agency because we actually really like working here and just kind of give us a shout you know and everyone was like so i called seven of them um who had used before and it was like three of them had well one had gone to be an IT consultant for, and, I said, and I was like wow I didn't even know you could put on the computer, turn the computer on never mind an IT consultant never mind two had gone to work in the supermarkets two on Amazon and uh, and, and a few had just had a wake-up call and and you know we've lost um, and it's a shame because those seven chefs were flipping good but you know, they just don't want to go back to what it was like before. And we've had to fundamentally relook at everything, kind of. People are just had that time out. They've had that experience with their families, that taste of what it's like to be able to go home at a decent time and put your kids to bed, etc. And they're like, no money is worth that, especially the money I was getting pre-COVID as a chef doing all those hours. And there is so much more. I'm talented. There's so many other industries that I can do which may not be as fulfilling and as exciting when I was, as when I was a chef because it's, it, you know, kind of, you, you know, the passion of some people have for food and that whole mm. creativity. But my work life and my standard of life and my health is a lot better now than when I was doing all those hours in the kitchen. And it's very much about businesses having to raise their standards to say, you know, in future, in five years' time, will people put up with any of that crappy working conditions will they put up with people being paid low pay will they put up with people working kind of all the time and putting on 40 hour contracts and they're not really 40 hours they're 80 odd hours and do you know what i mean and all of these things and i don't think it well i i mean there will some who will always continue to do that but i'm hoping that the better companies will will continue like i i am doing to realize that actually to recruit the best people and to recruit the talent they the best people are not going to put up i want to put up with any of that mm. you know and um and i do feel that post covid is, is a totally different world and the hospitality has had a wake-up call and you cannot continue to treat people like this because that's where you get the burnout, you get the well-being issues, you get the work-life balance, you get the stress. And we're all human. And nobody can, can tolerate that for so long without having a detrimental effect on the health cause well, yeah. work. We're not, we're, we're literally, and this isn't a sales pitch at all, but we're just about to launch a T-shirt today which says, not all heroes wear capes, some work in hospitality. Yeah. Um, but I think the key thing is, is that, despite the fact that you know we are heroes for working in this industry and you know, or profession as i like to call it now we're not 
superheroes. We are not made of Kevlar. You know, you are human. And despite the fact, you know, you stoicism teaches us to be, you know, toughen up and don't show a sign of weakness and wear it as a badge of honor. Ultimately, you know, even if you are like that, you're still pink flesh and blood. And at some stage, yeah. something's going something's gonna to break through that. But I wanted to ask you, Leo, slightly playing devil's advocate here, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts based on your experience. I have spoken to a large number of business owners who are sharing their frustrations with me about the number of applicants they're getting for roles, whereby... So hospitality has obviously done this flip now where people are, are rightly so asking you know, for the right wages, for the right level of work. But also there's a lot of individuals out there who are maybe, for example, at a CDP level saying, I want a head chef's job and I want to be on 45k a year and you, know, you need to give this to me. What we're finding is that seems to be quite a commonplace. Um, it's happening more and more, but there's also huge long-term impacts to that individual's t- with regards to resilience and taking on those roles. I mean, have you had any of these experiences where you know someone comes to you and says, you know, I might not be qualified for this, but you're desperate and you need it, and if you want um, me here, I am yeah. type thing. Has that has that happened? Yeah, yeah, it has. Um, yeah, it has. And to be honest, I've, I'm facing a situation and and. Um, where I had I recently had a, a somebody replied for um, a, a, a more junior chef role, like, and 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 I said no. Would you be able to do the head chef role? You know, now he's coping brilliantly, and I'm helping him an awful lot, and you know he's fine. But 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 it's a lot of pressure, you know. And I've I've had to adapt this. I mean, I wouldn't have taken on somebody who wasn't a lot of experience. And I mean, in all fairness, he had nine years experience of a head chef somewhere else in another wedding venue so it's kind of like it wasn't seen as somebody who had just not been able to do that sort of job or hadn't experienced the pressure but I think he was probably underselling himself a little bit to 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 join the team but I, I feel like you know if you go on the indeeds around recruitment and all of this there are so much people who are just clicking everything you know, in the hope that they're going to get. I mean, and half of them don't even put a proper application together or a proper no cover letter whatsoever or any description. They just click, 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 click. And let's just see if I get anything from that. And mm. I think there are there is a set, sense of desperation, but that's why I, I got to the point where I was so desperate. But I thought, actually, the people that had come in to do the job were just, I mean, they, I mean, I was like, they're no good. I mean, I don't want those kinds of people in my business. And actually, it's better if I go back and do it myself and um, and understand the role a bit better and recruit the right people to do that job rather than just putting up with anybody. Yeah. Um, but obviously, I appreciate there's not a lot of business owners who could go and do the chefing for for their business. You know, some aren't chefs I mean I'm no you know I've I've been out of it a long time but I was lucky enough to um and this can often be seen as a threat to some chefs but I think it's the best thing you can do as a business owner I was very very I mean I read the book um I mean people might start switch off it's traction by Gina Whitman and, and the point of this is about systematizing everything in your business so it gives the business owner freedom because if you have enough processes and enough systems and everything done then basically things won't go wrong so for example in my business we have like 300 processes all documented so anybody could literally just pick up 
our process and follow it or watch a video. We have loads and loads of videos on every single thing. Or, But when it comes to the kitchen, I have a complete chef Bible of every single item with a recipe and with a photograph of how it's to be presented. And, and so when it came to me going back and doing the kitchen stint, I literally took the chef Bible and I just followed the recipes like it was. a. And I just thought, I've just got to treat this as it's, I'm cooking. Okay, I'm cooking for 100. But kind of, <laughs> it's that kind of principle that you're just following a recipe. Now, if I hadn't done all of that groundwork and all of that preparation, I would have been stuffed. Absolutely mm. stuffed. But the point is, that's about kind of, you've fundamentally got to set your business up in the right way. Um, and then... And then I think that that starts, you start to attract the right people into your business because of how you set it up. Yeah. And I don't mean, I I completely agree with you. I don't mean to sound like an arsehole. I think that people should push themselves and, you know, you should always go for, you know, perhaps the next roll up. But I think the important thing and where, where I voice my concerns with this is, is that Already, as an industry, we've got a huge skill gap shortage whereby, mm. you know, your, your head waiter or general manager has left. So as a result, someone's been recruited to fill that position out of, you know, sheer necessity. Same with, you know, your, CD, your head chef leaves, your sous chef becomes a head chef with six months experience, yeah. your CDB becomes a sous chef, and yeah. all of a sudden everyone's moved up. But where, where my yeah. concern is, is that we've got people at the moment going, well, do you know what? Yeah, I have been underpaid for a long period of time. And yeah, I might be a CDP, but I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm a head chef now and you can pay me 45, 50K a year for that. But what you're potentially doing, the money sounds great, but at some point you will hit a breaking point where you, don't have, you, know, you don't have the level of, or feel like you're in control, where you don't have the skill sets, where the pressure does mount up. And rather than people within our industry going oh actually do you know what i think i might have overstretched myself i need to take a step back and learn these skills sometimes it has a detriment effect on the business owner because they go well actually it's the business's fault you know it's the it's the terrible conditions that i'm working in and i think that you know we need to have the conversations from both sides to be able to try and open up this dialogue and let people know that actually the business owners are you know struggling Uh, as well you know and it's not always their fault sometimes we do need to you know, back in back years ago, to get a position, you had to work in the the position below for four, five, six, seven, eight years. Yeah, and then... this is automatic entitlement now that people think they've got. I know it's, and that's the other flip side of it, isn't it? Really, like people should be paid fairly. They should have a good work life balance for the job they do. But also, you know, if you haven't been promoted within a in a within a job up to the next level. You know, the employer should have a clear roadmap of what you need to do in order to get there, as opposed to, you know, just you feeling like it's a personal attack on yourself. And so I'm very, very conscious of the two sides of the conversation. And I just wanted to sort of get your get your um, input on it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people just think it's an automatic right to have pay rise or an automatic right. And, you know, businesses, I mean, I, I mean, my business is no exception. I think I lost about half a million in COVID, you know, and you've got to find that from somewhere. You know, that's mm. got to be found. And although you're doing your best to raise work standards and you're doing your best to do work-life dance and dress all of these things, you're still, you know, it's it all cuts into your um your business finances and things it's it's really tough at the moment being a business owner in hospitality really tough mm. 
Yeah, and, um, and uh, uh, you know, our our support services are finding that more it's the general manager and business owners that we're now supporting at this moment in time because you know hospitality in general is is experiencing a huge amount of stress due to the increased visitor numbers all of this sort of stuff that's mm-hmm. going on um but the that plus the added financial pressures plus also the pressure that you know you're having to pay for people's wages that's supporting their families you yeah. know we we do need to similarly to how the customers need to start actually showing a little bit of respect for hospitality staff because we're not you know pieces of shit on your shoes excuse excuse the terminology yeah. but also at the same time we as hospitality teams need to appreciate that not all business owners are sat on catamarans in you know the south of france yes there are a lot of business owners out there who are you know working in the kitchens alongside you who are also dealing with a tremendous amount of pressure to be able to ensure that business is still afloat so that you Mm. can remain employed and that that everyone can have a life 100 percent, and i feel that the work we did on systems and processes I feel every business needs to have that because, you know, when you get a lot of people thrown in at the deep end and like, what, what, you know, what do I do? Well, you know, you know, it's almost like cut the butters and somebody would, there's so many different ways to present butters and cut butters. Well, and then I would get annoyed when somebody's not done the butters how I would, you know, it sounds a stupid little point, but now there's a protocol which makes it with pictures of how to do the flipping thing. So the, the member of staff not getting stressed, the business owner isn't getting stressed and they know exactly how to do it. And you replicate that simple thing by absolutely everything. So then the business owner knows that if they don't have to be constantly there all the time, because if they follow the processes, if they follow the procedures and everything, you don't need to be on their backs all the time. You know, they I mean, my my lot have a a massive degree of freedom. I'm not somebody who will constantly kind of breathe down and, you you know, breathe down the backs. But it's like but I you have I cannot take the risk that these weddings aren't delivered perfectly you know and so they're only delivered perfectly because there is such a documented process that literally follow from when the minute that first guest arrives at the farm to when they leave every single thing over eight pages is documented of how a wedding coordinator for example would run the weddings you have the chef with his recipes and the presentation you have the front of house with literally diagrams on how to lay a table and how to, you know and all of this you have the bar staff with videos on how to change the gas how to change the, the post mix how to change how to pour a bottle of wine you know how to polish a glass and this is what you have to get to in if you want a well-run business that gives your business owner freedom and it gives the staff the knowledge that they know what they're doing. And that's there's no halfway around that. It's And you've got to get to those sorts of kind of standards. Yeah, yeah. And it, so, it sounds like to, to certain people, this may sound very clinical and be like, oh, you know, you're stripping all the control you know, control away from us teams or you're not giving us the freedom to express ourselves. But that's not the case at all. I think it's, yeah. um, you know, there are still, you know, that that's still there. Like, as you say, your, your teams have input in the business on a daily basis. But like for me, I'm thinking I, I haven't changed gas since I used to work in busy bars in Bournemouth. So yeah, rather yeah. than me going, oh, Christ, I, I'm not feeling competent. I'm not feeling confident in this. You can go, well, actually, I can take onus upon myself. Let me check out this video. Right, I've learned how to do that now. Now I can teach someone yeah. else or I can yeah. direct them. And it's building if, if, that sense yeah. of confidence. 
yeah if anything you you almost end up with you, you know kind of it's almost freedom for everybody because people know that if they follow the processes then the kind of the odor isn't going to kind of get all het up and whatever and sorry um <laughs> should I turn that off that's a one mistake and um and 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 and, 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 and basically um that you know they, everybody knows their pace like we have this thing called like an accountability chart and there's probably about 300 things on that on that list from literally going down to who cooks the food to who's responsible for ordering toilet rolls down to who's responsible for changing the gas and every single thing has a line against it as a name against it so i know absolutely who's and that's the problem with hospitality a lot of it is really there's so much going on and lots of people are involved and no one as the ultimate response. Do you know what I mean? And so everyone goes, oh, I thought such and such had done it or I thought they had done it. And that's where, that's another stress factor when mm. the thing isn't done. And it's like, if you just list all the things that you do in your business and then put a name against it, you can't then go wrong because everything has somebody responsible. It's it's like every Wednesday we have like communication and coordination meetings with kind of like the, uh, people at all levels come along to that. This is not a senior people locked away. This is people at different levels, and um, and they bring all their issues, and I, I I it's my role to help them sort them out. You know, it's an open forum where there's no blame culture, and we openly discuss frustrations in between departments, etc of all these things and I think the culture is a massive thing and I think my focus during lockdown has been on what more can I do to improve the culture to improve the working condition can improve all these things for my staff it wasn't so much on yeah we yeah we we managed to sell lots of weddings during lockdown and things like that we've made sort of improvements but I personally took it on myself to say what else can we do to really help the team the staff the communication the fundamental staff elements because that is the most crucial element in hospitality is your staff it's your biggest yeah, asset and, and so often yeah massive, it shouldn't massive. shouldn't be on your payroll your bank balance should it it should be as as, as no, like a, a business asset yeah but a lot of times owners forget that mm. and and that's when you do need that kind of wake-up call to realise how fundamentally important the staffing are, and I mean, I I will openly admit, I I I'd lost that. I did I didn't have that at some points. Do you know what I mean? I lost that. I was growing so much, and I was like, oh, they can all cope with it. They're all like this. We're all doing things. We're all well. And you know, for me, taking that real time out to fundamentally massively go back and really you know look at all of these systems process look at all of this culture look at all of this um because you can set it all up but if you don't kind of because we've always had the culture we've always had these but actually if you don't keep reviewing it keep looking at it keep improving it keep looking at you i mean we've probably on now on our 12th type of meeting now do you know what i mean as a team and mm. it's that constant evolution that constant improvement and that constant kind of we have a very much of a growth type culture i mean i i, I massively encourage my team and members to do kind of personal development stuff and, and i'm obsessed with personal development but you know I, I i kind of get them to as well and you know and it's that improvement culture that you have to put in 
Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, it can do, it can do attitude. Again, it all sounds very cliche, and for people who perhaps have been in environments that are quite toxic and negative, it all sounds like oh airy fairy stuff. But actually, there's a lot. You know, there's a lot of that, and you know, both you and I have got to where we are in terms of being self-employed and, and changing people's perceptions on on mental health and well-being, and, and providing yeah. people with a different experience of hospitality. Is because I've just read. I've, read a load of books listen to tons of audio yeah. books about yeah. you know marketing about you know done done diplomas and again this all sounds like oh yeah you know you you you're you're great you're a boffin and all this sort of stuff but it's not it's all done in your own time it's half an hour a day whatever it might be but invest in yourself and invest in Massive. your people because it makes such a huge difference to your life and it's free like nine times out of ten you yeah. can rent a book from the library and it's free or you go on youtube for crying out loud yeah. and watch a video um yeah even if you want to learn to play the harmonica <laughs> whatever it might be just invest in yourself and, uh, yeah it's a video move. for everything yeah. there is definitely but talk to me a little bit about b corp because we've we've discussed a lot about your culture and the business but we started talking originally because you introduced um, introduced yourself, but also wanted to introduce me to to B Corp. So, could you just explain to people what B Corp is and why it's important to you? Yeah. So, yeah. So, I I um I've been doing all these things. For, I mean, I, I I set when I set the farm up, I was always passionate about kind of sustainability. So, the farm was like a, a wind turbine and and things like this uh, because we couldn't we weren't on a, we we're not on a gas mains grid, and so I needed to power it and and everything else. And this led to um, a kind of a real um, passion about um, sustainability. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm, I still wear leather and I'm, I'm not a vegan and we have a butchers and, or, you know, I'm not that kind of off the scale on sustainability. But the point is, by by complete accident, all the things that I'd been doing, so a focus on sustainability, a focus on well-being, and a focus on kind of properly getting the right culture, Completely by accident, in February this year, I came across something which naturally put all these elements together that I'd kind of been working on, but I'd just been doing these. I had nothing to kind of do it for. It was just things that I thought were important in a business. And it was only when I... I mean, I mean, uh, you know, Brewdog. Now I know they've come up against the press quite a bit lately for kind of staff working conditions and what have you. But this is how I led to, to hear about kind of Brewdog, and 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 they'd said they there was like a post out on LinkedIn or something saying we're delighted to have just completed our B Corp assessment, and I was like what the hell is that? What is B Corp? I've never heard of it. What is it? So I got on and Google and discovered this whole world around um, B Corp, basically. And B Corp is basically, um, it's kind of a certification about, it's called Business as a Force for Good. And it is a real um, accreditation. It's an independent accreditation that pulls together the elements of well-being and staff conditions, staff working conditions, the culture, all of that side of things how you as a business contribute to the local community and also how you as a business in, in look at sustainability. Now, B Corp doesn't mean that you won't be a profit-making business. It's not like, um, a, a, you know, a sort of, um, oh gosh, what those be, you know, like um, a non-profit-making or a charity or anything like that. You can still yeah, make yeah. a profit, but it's like you the profit, for me, I'd worked in the NHS 
for a long time. And to become a pure profit-making, profit-profit at the expense of everything else, that's just not me. I needed something which was a bit more kind of holistic, a bit more kind of, you know, recognised social. So the point is, I came across this B Corp assessment and then started to realise that everything that I'd been trying to do in my business around the you know, paying people the right amounts of money, supporting the staff well-being, doing initiatives in the community, um, being involved, for example, I'm the entrepreneur ambassador of the local college um, and and different things. So kind of supporting other people, you know, I'm working very closely with the hospitality department in the local college to feed in students, to get experience in my venue, that kind of thing. And the sustainability, which, you know, is going bigger and bigger and bigger. So the B Corp just pulls all of those elements together. So then I started looking at kind of what, well, where is B Corp going and what we're doing? And when I involved my team in this, oh my goodness, I had every, you know, such an enthusiasm from the team, from people who were age 60 odd, right through to 16 year olds, who suddenly all wanted to, they were volunteering to help with the B Corp work. And I was like, because you know they were really passionate about what this was coming on and then statistics have shown that if you are operating as a business with a big focus on sustainability you are going to attract far more people into your business than if you don't do that and young people coming up and I'm talking kind of 18 to 22 year olds those sorts of ages are no longer prepared to work in businesses that do not demonstrate a commitment to the environment, that don't do things around um, well-being, are not... And and we are going to see, I believe, in five years' time, a fundamental massive change. People will switch with their feet, and those businesses who are not basically supporting staff properly who are not embracing sustainability who are not creating the right culture environment and supporting the the community the local areas are going to lose out and i and i feel and the reason i'm thinking this is because the b corp applications the best companies at the moment the most exciting companies are b corp companies so the kind of patagonias the the ben and jerry's the um the slows of alcohol. <laughs> I've lost the plot to think about. But the point is, there's loads of it. Set. And now B Corp have had hundreds of applications, so much so that there is a, now a 15 month waiting list to just become a B Corp business. But what they're saying is having gone through the application process, which is a lot of work, but actually if you've been fundamentally set your business up right in the first place, it wouldn't be a lot of work. It's not a lot of work. I'm hoping to become one of the first uh, hospitality businesses in the country to become B Corp accredited. And I know they are looking and seeing that hospitality is, there's not a lot of businesses in hospitality who are B Corp accredited. But basically, I fundamentally see that all these things that the B Corp stands for is what a good hospitality business should be doing. And that's why I'm almost, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not endorsed by B Corp. I'm not paid by B Corp. I could just say I have nothing to do with B Corp. It's just for the first time I found a framework of all the things that I've been doing suddenly makes sense and puts it all together. And so I, I actually think that 
if any of hospitality owners are are listening to this, I feel it's not a bad thing for you to get on that B Corp assessment. The, the average business will go and do that assessment and score 30 points. And to become a B Corp, you have to score 80 points. But the point of being a B Corp is not to go, oh, I can't be a B Corp and that's it. You know, forget it. It's you, you you're given your score. And then it's an improvement. Let's get you to the standard of a B Corp company. And it's almost raising the standards of business across the board in every sector. So anybody, any industry can become a B Corp business. But every single business has to put the staff first, has to put well-being first, has to put sustainability first and working with the local community. And that is what young people want to see in the future. So mm. you may think this B Corp thing is something that is going to be so far off. I'm not going to bother with that. And by the way, it doesn't cost a lot at all. In the And the assessment's all free. But it's like. You may not be thinking about it now, but in five years time, these young people who you want in your business will have gone elsewhere. They'll go to the companies with the best working conditions. They'll go to the companies who are doing everything right. And you can be left with everybody else. But I don't want to be that kind of business. And that's why I feel very passionate about it. And that's why I feel there is a definite allegiance with you as the burnt chef in you're trying to raise the standards of well-being, the standards of kind of um, working, you know, the whole thing goes together with, with, with you. Although obviously they are very generic and they're across every single industry. I do think that the fundamental things that you're trying to do with well-being, yes, it, it's only one element of B Corp, but it is a very big element that if you're not seen to put all these things in place and to have these things, you, there's no way you will become a B Corp company. Mm. And I think I, I love that. We, we have spoken. You very kindly introduced me to the CEO of B Corp as well. So we have spoken about that. And I myself will go through the self-assessment process to understand more about the other aspects that perhaps aren't necessarily well-being, like well-being and, and staff focused. Um, but one thing that we were working on sort of in the background is like a, almost like a checklist for businesses who are, if they want to dip their toe into a even if they're just looking at well-being and what things can you change within an organization to ensure that your staff are healthier mm. and happier and you know your yeah. retention rates improve as a byproduct, then we're putting together like a checklist of suggestions that could be like, you know, are you leaving, which is a legal requirement for anyone that doesn't know, are you leaving 11 hours between your last shift and your next shift? You know, because in hospitality, that doesn't happen, but actually it's a legal requirement. And as a duty of care as an employer, it's something that people need to be mindful of. Are your staff getting mm. two 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 days off back to back? You know, again, not necessarily a legal requirement, but it's a bloody decent thing to do when your your team have you know put 50, 60, yeah. 70 hours in over the course of a week. Now, are you a friend of my Mark? He uh, he was recently in the, in the Guardian. He's a co-owner of the Ethicurium in Bristol, which if ever you you're in that neck of the woods, I do suggest going there. Mark, they've um, they've scrapped tips which was very, very like the, the team were like, no, we don't like that. We survive on tips. But what they've done is they've increased everyone's wages, given them a decent salary, um, the sort of the living proper living wage salary. Um, and yeah, they've they've yeah. they've also said that, like, if customers donate, then that can go towards charitable organizations. But as a result of that, what they've found is that the team then are able to 
apply for mortgages, apply for loans because they've got a consistent salary. They know what's coming in every single mm. month rather than, you know, one customer who you've given five star service to and they're in a bad mood. So they've just slated you on on TripAdvisor, not giving you any tips mm. and you were reliant upon that. And that's had a knock on effect for future services as well. Yeah. So there's there's those sort of things that you can implement that they may seem small and significant, but they can have such a profound impact on on your team's well being and how your business. Oh performs. yeah, I, I know. I mean, you know, I have like most hospitality people, have, businesses have a zero hour staff, and I'm now beginning to think, is that the answer? And I don't think it is. And I think it is giving people better, more part time roles if they want that flexibility, and paying them the more consistent things and you know rates and um not relying so much on this zero hour because that in itself causes massive stress to the business owners because they can just decide that they don't want to work and there is that not that commitment to you um and and equally yeah it's on both sides it saves the owner money and what have you but i don't think that is is well it's certainly that is now having been to the floor and now realize the problems that setting staff rotors cause and the stress that staff rotors in general when people just go oh i'm not i'm not you know can anyone switch my shift and all this business i I mean again there's so much more that we have to do and i'm you know i'm i'm going to be a b corp i'm my score is now 100 or something out of those scores um but there is still so much more to do and i think this is the point about the b corp you get your accreditation and then they want to see year on year improvement it's not about getting b corp and then that's it that's the end you have got to demonstrate bigger and bigger bigger growth but all I know is I'm not in it for like I've got the B Corp badge at all I just feel it's the right thing to do as a business owner to raise the standards of business for all those key elements and businesses cannot ignore sustainability because it's going to come I mean you know and nobody can afford to ignore sustainability and um, and I feel that it's absolutely the right thing to do and hopefully it will raise standards across the board for the future if more and more hospitality businesses or any businesses adopt this framework and raise the standards in their business. And it's like learn from the best, learn what the best. Co- I mean, I you know, if I ever want to learn anything, I go and look at what Australia is doing and what New Zealand and all these places are doing for weddings because I feel they're like amazing I don't kind of look down the road and go what are they doing I'd never compare what I'm doing with my competitors I never even look at what they're doing I don't bother I just furrow my own plow and get on with it and and I feel that this is something that has got to be done in hospitality Mm. Raise the standards. Yeah. Raise the standards. In order to have a sustainable industry, we're going to need sustainable workforce. And to get a sustainable workforce, they need to be happy. They need to be healthy. And most importantly, we want to get those who have left the industry to feel that they can indulge their passion, indulge their passions and their creativity and come back to a safe environment whereby they have that work-life balance, you know, because, I, I've the goal that we, we the Burnt Chef Project's always had for hospitality is we don't want to be the third largest sector in the world employing 72 million. We want to be the second biggest. We want to be the first biggest because we have got a fantastic industry. There's so much negativity around hospitality. The press mm. are 
dining out on this like it's fucking Christmas. But we need to be celebrating businesses like yourself who do focus on on these, you know, sustainable goals and the new way forward and, and with regards to the industry that we can be. And I know that there's a lot of potential out there for all of us to be to be better and to have a have a, a much, much better industry. It is achievable. It's going to take time. But just anyone out there who's listening to this, if there's anything that's inspired you from this, whether you are, you know, working a business and you want to suggest this to your management team, whether you want to get them introduce them to this podcast and listen to this episode, or if you're operations or a business owner yourself, you know, there's so much information. Um, Celia, as you know, you've, you've got your own website, you're, you're available and you, your book documents a lot of the processes that you've gone through in terms of reducing stress and improving well-being as well. So, you know, take that first step take that first step and you know let's 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 improve this industry together mm, brilliant celia as thank you very much there's a final question uh that i ask all of my guests uh, and i'm going to ask you as well to keep in keeping keeping with this is if you were to travel back in time and give some advice to an 18 year old version of yourself what would that advice be Oh, that, uh, without a doubt, prioritise your health. Because I is the one. I mean, I I am only now kind of doing daily walks and daily stress and daily prioritising and what I don't. I never start a meeting before nine thirty because I have to do my walk. I have to, and it's an hour kind of absolute. Don't even bother calling Sarah because she's on a walk first thing in the morning. I would never been that, and and I mean, I'm now realizing that my biggest thing is I wish I'd properly better looked after myself, and I feel that you can't, you know, because you, no matter how successful and everything, I mean, luckily there's not anything wrong, but kind of, um, you know, you, you just can't take it for granted, and I'm just seeing too many successful business owners sports people everything they get to the top of the career and it's the health that makes them lose everything and everybody just takes it for granted that they're always going to be healthy that the nhs is always going to pick them up and sort them out and it just doesn't and you know if there's one thing i would do is just with everything and today your health is more important than anything so there you go. Might seem a bit generic, but for me, it's it's very key. Love it. I love it. Celia, thank you ever so much for joining me. And um, yeah, if yeah, where can people find you if they want to learn more about yourself or your business? Um, so I've got my own website, which is www.celiagaze.com. Or, or see you guys, yeah, cool. And, and then, I've, but the main one is the Wellbeing Farms, which is www.thewellbeingfarm.co.uk or Google Wellbeing Farm. Um, in and it's in Bolton in Lancashire. And you know, if anybody wants to come and see how we do things or look at the systems, look at processes, more than happy to show anyone, um, kind of and also to talk about anything to do with B Corp. Um, more than happy to share in my experience. Thank you very much. Yeah. And you're you're going through the ambassador process as well for us. You're going to join us. Yeah, I am. Help us yeah, in our goals. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel very passionate, and you're doing the right thing. And I kind of want to align myself with companies who want to raise the standards of the hospitality industry because what you've said before is absolutely what is needed. Thank you very much, Celia. Cheers for that. I'll see you soon. Yeah. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Bye. 
I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Burnt Chef Journal. We'll be back again next week with another episode, but in the meantime, if you wanted to learn more about the Burnt Chef Project, please head over to our website, www.theburntchefproject.com, where we have a range of merchandise which is designed to create awareness. We offer training modules, we also provide support services, and also you'll find access to our online app, which is free to use internationally. Do feel free to give us a follow and a like on social media, and we'll look forward to seeing you again next week.